So today, I want to look through the book of Hebrews a little bit, kind of uh, jumping through the book of Hebrews. Now, some people say that means it's scriptural for the man to make the coffee in the morning because it says Hebrews. But I don't know about that. I know one thing. I need a little coffee in the morning. Somebody said, what's the first thing on your mind when you get out of bed in the morning? Where's my coffee pot? And uh, I love to drink a good hot cup of coffee in the morning. I love to listen to good gospel music. And I like to hear good Bible preaching. I like that the happy Goodman's, Howard Goodman, he had a phrase he said, put it in a song. He said, Mama taught us that having fun was Sunday morning meeting time when the church bells rung. And I like that because sometimes we get our priorities a little bit mixed up. Number one needs to stay number one, doesn't it? And then everything else falls in line. But if number one's off track, then your whole life's off track. And so what is number one? His name is Jesus. Lives in your heart. His blood is on your heart's door. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Even if you get off track, he didn't leave you. He's going to help pull you back on track. If you'll let him. Throughout life, we have ups and downs. We do stray from side to side, but God helps us get back. And if we'll do some fundamental things in life that just becomes part of our life, no matter what, that's praying to Jesus, reading the Bible, and going to church. If you'll do those three things in your life, now I'm not saying that's what gets you to heaven, going to church. I'm saying because we're headed to heaven, we really need to be going to church. And it helps us. It helps me. How about you? I'm glad that you're in church today. Thank you for being here. In Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, once upon a time, about 30 years ago, I led a little uh, old man who lived up here on the hill who was 96. I led him to the Lord, and uh, he was very nice, and he did believe in Jesus, but he never had been saved. And so that's something to think about. He told me that. I believe in Jesus, but I've never been saved, he said. And uh, so, guys... It's not good enough just to believe that there is a Jesus or that there is a God or that God is real or Jesus is real. That's not quite enough. You really have to give your life to him, and that's being saved. That's what that's church language. We call it being saved. You know, the world doesn't out, out there that's not in church. Most people are not in church. How many know most people are just not in church? And it's sad but because they could learn so much that would make their lives so much better. But even more so, the life after this one would be so much better. Guys, I want you to know this. There is a real place called hell. And it's a terrible thing to talk about, but it is a real place. I don't know exactly where it is. It could be in the center of the earth. It could be down closer to the center of the earth. I'm not sure. I figure that's probably where it is because you know what the center of the earth is? 
a lake of fire. The center of the earth, science says, is a core of molten and burning iron and lava. The, the earth is a lake of fire in the middle. And so it kind of goes along with the Bible to think that hell might be almost to that point, And then hell will be dissolved into the lake of fire. Uh, these are a little bit of mysteries that we don't fully understand. But here's how I know that hell is a real place. Because Jesus said it was. Jesus said it was a real place. And he said the thing about hell is no one can die there. They want to die. They're hurting in torment. They want to die, but they can't die. He said there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He said that people will cry out and no one will help. He said it's a, he compared it to the Valley of Gehenna. Listen now. The Valley of Gehenna is a real place. It still exists. If you go outside the city of Jerusalem, there is a big valley there, the Valley of Gehenna. It's still there. You can walk a bridge over it. And back in Bible times, it was the city dump. And what they did is they had it burning all the time. And so it was a constant fire. And people would dump their trash in that valley, and it burned all the time. Dead animals, just uh, scraps of food, anything, trash, they threw out there to burn. And so it smelled really bad, and it smelled like burning flesh. And Jesus uh, compared hell to the valley of Gehenna. Now, you may not find that word, you may not find that word in English, when you start to look for that, but the Aramaic that Jesus used when he talked about hell was the same word as Gehenna. And so that's why if you look for that word, you may not find it. But the Aramaic word that he used was the same as used for Gehenna, which means a dump that burns day and night where the trash is thrown. And so that's how he explained hell to his disciples. And I just think it's really important that kids and adults understand, that we all understand, that hell is a real place. It's probably somewhere near the center of the earth. We don't know exactly, but the Bible says when the soul of a man dies and does not have that blood over his heart's door, the blood of Jesus, that he's a cast into this place called hell. Now, when a person dies without Christ, you've never been saved, uh, you don't get cast into the lake of fire. That comes later. At first, it's to the place of torment. The Jesus told a story. He said, and, and now listen to this. Every parable Jesus told that was just kind of a possible, real, maybe not real story, but it made it, he kind of, illust an illustration, all right? They were called parables, and he never used anybody's name. In every parable he told, he never used anybody's name. He said there was a certain man in a certain town, there was a certain woman in a certain village, but he never used anybody's name. In this story, he exactly told who he was talking about. He was talking about Lazarus, the beggar, that was outside the gate of the wealthy man or the prince uh, of the town, right? 
And so they knew who he was talking about. They had heard about this before. And when he told that, he said, now Lazarus, he didn't have anything. He didn't have any wealth. He, he couldn't make money. He was poor. He had to eat the scraps that the rich man threw out. It was not a sin to be rich. It was a sin not to have Jesus Christ in your life. Okay? It was not a sin to be a beggar and diseased. That wasn't even a sign of sin. It was a disease. But Lazarus had Jesus in his heart. And it's sad that he had to eat the scraps that were thrown out for the dogs. But this still happens in the world today, doesn't it? There's a lot of places, mostly in other countries. There's a few times here. But in some countries, it's a way of life for some people. Where all they have is what's thrown out. And Jesus taught us to help people like that. And we do. Our church helps needy people all the time. I'm so proud of you for the work you do. Some of y'all delivering meals every week, packing up bags of groceries and taking it to people who need it. And you know, that's not the only thing we do. Right now, our missionaries are in Mexico, which is not the safest place to be, but they're in Mexico anyway, and they're teaching preachers how to build their churches and how to spread the gospel. If someone came up to you today and said, could you tell me how to be saved? What would you say to them? Give your heart to Jesus. Say again. You got to believe. Confess that he is the one and only God. You have to repent in your heart. Turn from your way and go his way. Pray and ask him to forgive you of all your sins. Our church, that's us right here in this room, we need to become a little more proficient to lead people to Jesus because we have a world all around us that's dying and going to hell. And it's not because they're poor or because they're rich. Jesus told that story to say it makes no difference when it comes to eternity. The only riches are the riches in heaven. And if you get to go to heaven, then you get to partake of those. And it's, it's very, very simple. Yes, we got to stand for what's right. Yes, we need to teach our kids right and wrong. But the number one job of the church is to lead lost people to Jesus Christ. And so the reason I picked this verse uh, in Hebrews that I'm going to read is because this 96-year-old man that lived right up here on the hill, he told me he believed in Jesus. He told me he watched church on TV all the time, but he had never been saved. And right now, I'm glad we have church on TV. I'm not anti-TV evangelist. Some of them are wackos, but let God figure that out. You know, they'd be looking on my Facebook feed and say, well, that guy's a wacko. I mean, you know, let God figure that out. I'm thankful that the gospel's getting out there. And he sometimes uses weird people to do it. I'm a testimony to that. So here's what God does. He puts his word out, and I'm glad it's on TV. I'm glad it's on live streaming. I'm glad it's on various platforms. You ain't seen nothing yet when this network of low-orbit satellites 
we talked about this about four years ago, three or four years ago, that this was coming. When this network of low orbit satellites get going, everything's going to change again. Our life will be different again. Some will be good. Some will not be so good. This is how it happens. Think about it. If you had lived back before there was a, a train or before there was a car, and then all of a sudden everybody can go everywhere, then jet, airplanes, and everything changes, and, and it's not going to be the same for our grandkids as it is for us. And the number one thing has got to stay the number one thing for us to keep building the church, and that is leading people to Jesus. That's the number one. You know, uh, I've been trying really a lot harder this year to give the plan of salvation every time I speak in front of people, wherever it is, in funerals, even in weddings, in front of the great passion play crowd, wherever it is. I've been trying harder this year than ever to give the simple plan of salvation to everybody because I want everybody to be saved and you may have been to church and you may believe in Jesus he is he may have even helped you from time to time in your life but have you ever been saved have you ever given your life to him have you ever oh like these young girls the last few weeks have walked forward they gave their life to Jesus have you ever done that and really really meant it and if you did then you're among the top small percentage of the population of the world and it's sad it would be great if it was the majority of the people in the world but it never will be because the bible says only few will find it so you're one of the few if you've given your life to jesus but if you live your life and you don't do that and really mean it then when you die you'll wake up in a place of torment a place we call hell, the Bible calls Haiti, Jesus called Gehenna, that burns day and night. And so when the rich man who did not accept Christ woke up in torment, he said, please send the beggar Lazarus that he could dip his finger in water and just touch the tip of my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. Jesus wanted us to understand the reality of what it means to die without God. And some would say, how can God torture people like that? He isn't. He's given us a warning that your soul is real and it will live forever. Either here on this earth where it will go down, 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 down into flames or if you'll let Jesus lift you up, he'll bring you into heaven with him. You know, it's not about God sending people to hell. It's about us choosing which way we want to go. Well, I think the answer is pretty easy for me. And I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I still make mistakes. I have near-death experiences all the time. I ride with Susie. Oh, I'm just kidding. I had to get that in. Oh, I'm in trouble now. I <laughs> let me. I accidentally said that. I meant to say. 
I have near-death experiences all the time because I'm driving down the highway, whether I'm riding with Susie or riding with myself. Isn't that better? Is that better, Charles? A little bit of a save, maybe, not really. How many know that we don't know if we're going to live through the day or not? Amen? I give Susie a hard time. She's a pretty good driver. I ride with her all the time. But I just tell you, no matter who you're with, you better be ready to meet Jesus because you don't know what's going to happen next. And I hope I hear him say, well done. I hope I hear him say, well done. But I know that I'm going to be there. I know I'm going to be there. And you don't have to wonder. You can know that you know. You don't have to hope you know. You can know that you know. But so the 96-year-old man, I led him to the Lord in his living room. And he told me those things. He said, I believe in Jesus. Kids, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. That's a head knowledge. If you really believe with all your heart, then you'll give your life to him. That's a heart knowledge. And then his blood will cover your heart's door. Jesus even talked about it. He said, I stand at your heart's door and knock. If you'll let me in, I'll come in. And not only did he say, I'll come in, he said, I will stay with you. And that is what I'm counting on. The blood is still there. I'm glad Charlotte picked that song for me to sing today because I wanted to preach out of Hebrews, and that's what Hebrews is all about. And if you'll put that up, if you've got it, chapter 2, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, the reason I chose that is because that's what this man told me. I said, why haven't you been saved before? You know that Jesus is real. You know that church is good. You watch it on TV. Why haven't you been saved before? And he said, I'm not sure. Just neglect, I guess. That was his answer. Just neglect, I guess. And I think, you know, that's a simple phrase, but it probably sums up the condition of a lot of people. They really want to go to heaven. They really believe there's a Jesus, but they've never submitted their life to him and really, really meant it with all their heart. And only you can answer that question. You may have grown up in church, and still, you've never really experienced God. You may have never been in church before, and you didn't know how. Well, this is how. You ask God to forgive you of all your sins. See, that's what it means when you say, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. It means you're telling the Lord, I'm a sinner. What did the man say on the street corner? He said, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And Jesus said, that is the prayer that God hears. I love that scripture because there's no magic words. Uh, There's no magic words. I remember when my youngest son told me he had prayed to be saved, and he was very little. And 
he his older sister had prayed with him and he t this is how he told me he said Lynette told me the words well you know what I could have said you don't really understand what you're doing that's not real but that's wrong to tell kids that I praised him for what told him how good it was and how great it was pray to Jesus every day not just today no matter what words you say right well as he got a little older he realized he was aware enough to make his own decision to make Jesus the Lord of his life so if you ask him when he got saved that's the day he'll tell you right but I'm not going to discourage my children at a young age from accepting Christ, being baptized if they want to be. Later on, if they come to the realization that they need a real solid commitment to Christ, I'm not going to discourage that. When they get in their 50s, if they decide they need to give their life to Christ, that they've been off track. I'm not going to discourage that. When they get to be elderly, they might think, I've got to give my life. Now, Brother Randall, are you talking about getting saved over and over again? No, I'm not. I'm talking about knowing that you know that you know. And it doesn't matter what age. And it does, it's, not, it's not a matter of whether it happened back then or whether it happened now. It's a matter of if you die today, would you go up with Christ or do you just not know for sure? Or do you know that you would go down to that mysterious, torturous place that we don't even like to think about? Because honestly, we probably all have friends and loved ones that are there. And that's what we hate to say out loud, but it's just heartbreaking. But there's nothing we can do about it. But we can do something about our soul. And he said those words, just neglect, I guess. How great a salvation is it that Jesus Christ came from heaven and chose you to be one of his children. How great a salvation is it that even though we're sinners and do things wrong, he still wants to bring us to heaven. I mean, could there be a greater salvation that would take your soul and give it eternal life? And though it's the greatest, it's neglected. How to lead someone to the Lord. Just pray with them and say, would you pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and come live in your heart. And just pray out loud where I can hear you and I'll pray along with you. And when they do that, then say, ask God, ask Jesus to save you and take you to heaven when you die. And I'm going to pray along with you. And when they do that, say, now tell Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for being real in my life. And you know, if a person prays sincerely to give their life to Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. And we should not neglect 
the greatest of all gifts, the gift of salvation. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, which from the beginning was spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. In other words, Jesus himself taught us this, and his disciples and the church keeps telling the story, age after age after age. And then if, you'll, if you have your Bibles open and flip over to chapter 6, he says, if they could fall away, or if it was possible to fall away, in chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, if they shall fall away, this is a hypothetical situation. He's saying, if you could fall away out of salvation, how could you ever get back? Because Jesus only died one time, and he's not going to die second time, because it would put him to an open shame. Now, the reason I love this verse is because it says, how can someone possibly crucify to themselves God again? It's impossible to do that. He's not going to go through crucifixion again. How many know that one time was enough? One time was enough. You didn't, all right, Brother Randall, are you saying if someone says the words that they can live however they want and they'll never lose their salvation? Let me tell you, they never had it in the first place. You have it when you mean it. You have it when you really, really mean it. When you have it, you ain't going to want to get rid of it. There's no such thing as somebody who gets saved and then later they don't want to be saved. That person never was saved. I mean, who would let the Son of God into their heart and life and then kick him out of the house? Who would do that? Nobody. Nobody would ever do that. When you let the Lord into your heart's door, I promise you, you're going to be so thankful. It's going to change your life. It's going to change you from the inside out. Nothing is going to be the same. I mean, if you think going from horseback to jet planes is a big change, you're going to change far past that because now your soul's going to live forever and become a child of the living God. There is no other way. And he means it. One time is enough. One time that means one time for Jesus to be crucified. That's what that means. It means that he's not going to come back over and over and over. He's, he's already done everything. What, did he, what was the last thing he said on the cross? It is finished. I had a co-worker one time tell me, <clears throat> here's what he said. He said, well, I tried being saved one time. I knew we were going downhill from there. I tried being saved one time. If anybody was ever saved, I was. I did everything they said, walked the aisle and all that, and then tell you what, it's not real. You know what was not real? 
his heart toward Jesus Christ. He no repentance. He never wanted really to change. He really didn't want to let the Lord in because he's afraid he might have to change. I, we are helping people a lot in all our ministries, and there's one lady that she's we've tried to help, and she has been on the streets. She's been beat up, drug addict. This is in Arkansas. Come walking up the other day, and I saw her walking up the street, all beat up, bruises all over. Why don't you get away from that person? There's a place down here you can live. If I live there, I won't get to do what I want to do. That dope has such a hold on her. She's willing to take that beating. She's willing to endure all of that horrible pain so she can do what she thinks she wants to do. Y'all have seen that happen, haven't you? Sometimes our own family members are brutalized by the person they're living with, and it's some kind of trap. It's usually, it's usually dope, alcohol, but it's something. It can be something else, too. It can be human trafficking, prostitution, let me tell you, the Lord will set you free from whatever trap you're in. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Because he wants you bad. He wants you so bad that he'd let people drive nails in him. He let people thrust a spear in his side for you. He stood there and took it so you could follow him to heaven. He took that beating so that you would have a way to hang on to him and he hangs on to you and take you to heaven. He will pull you out of that abusive life. If someone, ladies, if someone is beating you up, I don't care if you're married to him or not, leave them. If someone is beating you up, they're nothing but a dirty, rotten dog, and God needs to deal with them because it wouldn't be good for me to. It's a good thing I'm not God. I don't want I, I just have no use for that. Girls, girls, listen to me. Don't ever go out with a guy that hits you. First time he hits you, it's over. Leave, ne unfriend him, block his number, never answer again. He's a dirty, rotten dog. And guess what? Even God can save that dirty, rotten dog, but you can't. Get away from him. Don't let these people out there put you down and act like you're no good. You are the child of Jesus Christ. He has success written all over your future. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's somebody like that devil sends along to hurt you, to get you hooked on dope or something like that, beating you up or taking you away and keeping you captive. I mean, this is going on everywhere, by the way. It's going on right here in Pontotoc County. There literally are houses right here in Pontotoc County where girls are kept for prostitution as slaves. Right here. Not one person stopping it. But you know what's worse? To leave this world 
and go down to the place of torment. That's worse. That's far beyond worse. And Hebrews says that one time was enough. God died one time, and that, that'll cover all your sins. Jesus was God. He came and became a human being so he could feel what we feel, so he could have the same emotions that we have, so he could be tempted. He can know what it's like to be a little kid. He knows what it's like to be a grown-up. He knows what it's like to have people all around him and be tempted on a daily basis, and he loves you. He became a human being so that he would understand how great it is to be saved and he's going to save you if you'll let him so I'm sharing the plan of salvation with the crowd at the passion play we've had some big crowds and I have had hundreds and hundreds of hands go up and I'll tell you right now God knows when you raise that hand or you stand for Jesus or you pray out, cry out to him, he knows if you mean it. And if you do, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, it says in verse 10, I'm going to close with this. God is not unrighteous. Okay, you know what that means, today's world? God is good. God is so good that he will not forget your labor of love for him that you showed in his name. God will not forget. In other words, you really mean it and you're living a Christian life, but something happens and you kind of backslide. You get caught up in something you shouldn't. And let me tell you, God is not going to forget you because you have strayed a little bit. That's what that means. God is not going to forget you because you strayed. He's, he still remembers that you have been ministering and praying for other people, even praying for Christians like you did for me this morning. That's praying for the, We're all saints. Saints are saved people, okay? So if you're praying or helping a saved person or if you're praying or helping that lost person, Jesus Christ remembers that. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine just being remembered by Jesus Christ? Just the fact that he would know who you are. Just the fact that he would know who I am, right? God is so good that he will not forget what you've done in his name whether it is helping Christians or helping lost people. That's what that verse means. And I'm so thankful that God won't forget me. How about you? When you stand before him and you draw your last breath and the angels carry you away to meet Jesus face to face, he's going to say, I know you. I know you. He's going to say, you're one of mine. I remember. I remember. Isn't that awesome?